When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the fourth pick in NFL draft, the New York Jets select... Evan Neal is just different. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to draft season. I'm your host today, Joe Bellick, taking over from my guy, the incomparable Michael Megan. Don't worry, Meegs is still here, but we thought we'd give him a bit of a break from his ever entertaining introductions. But anyway, listen, we are less than a week away from the combine where men in shorts, anthropometrics, and 40 times unfortunately take precedence over good film and where money can be made or lost. I know, like me, we're all probably wishing we could fast forward to the event because there is a bit of a lull between the end of the postseason and the combine, but that's what the guys of draft season are here for, to spill some hot takes and keep you entertained and informed on the world of the NFL draft. We're getting deep today on cornerbacks, wide receivers, the rise and fall of Kayvon Thibodeau, and we'll each try to match games and drop a fuego take of our own. But before we get started, I have to say what's up to my guys. Michael, first. How was my introduction? Did I Your introduction was fantastic, Joe. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. It's nice to, you know, see how the other half lives, as they say, and just, you know, just say my feelings and, you know, keep it pushing. All right. Awesome, Mike. Um, Dylan, I can tell you're pumped. So what's going on, brother? I'm hyped up. You know, I think it's going to be a fun episode. You know, I think this is definitely going to be one of our more entertaining ones. I think there's some really cool topics that you're bringing to the table today in the host chair. So I'm kind of excited to see how this uh conversation turns out absolutely definitely room to get a little spicy tonight that's for sure james um i can always count on you to keep it short with the intro so uh how you feeling i'm doing good i'm excited for the episode all right sweet so listen guys cornerback has been a hot topic lately daniel jeremiah just mock sauce garner to the jets at 10 jets beat reporter dj Bienemy has been banging on the table for a while now for a cornerback too now There have been some polarizing opinions on it. So I'm just wondering, how do you all feel about some sauce with your Thursday night draft or just going corner in general in that spot? Love it, hate it, be fine with it. Lay it on me. Let me uh, me start with you, James. What do you think? Um, I, so a few things. I mean, I would say number one, uh, I probably wouldn't draft a corner at 10. I think the really interesting thing is like how Derek Stingley's stock has fallen. Um, I think I was actually just thinking about this like 20 seconds ago for the first time. So it may not be the most refined thought ever, but I think you can make an argument that Stingley 
was on track through his freshman year to be a generational prospect. Um, the way I like to define generational is like generational production, generational film, um, and generational, like just kind of height, weight, that type of thing. And I feel like Stingley checks the testing. He checked the production through the first year. Obviously that's gone sideways since and height, weight, you know, it's kind of average. So um, I, I think the biggest thing is like, it's kind of like a pick your own flavor cornerback class. Um, you know, you have somebody who's more of like that shutdown man corner, like Gardner. You have somebody who has good ball skills, like Andrew Booth. Um, you have the short guy who can tackle well, uh, Michael Megan's favorite, Trent McDuffie. And um, I feel like it's more of just like a individual team preference decision in terms of who goes off the board at what time. So, I mean, overall, if they did take a corner at 10, would you be upset draft night? Like, are you chugging some Jose Cuervo or getting into deep with some Don Julio? Like, what's the story? Chugging some Jose Cuervo. Oof. Um, I I mean, I probably wouldn't be – I'd have to see how the board fell, but I would say it'd probably be like a C-minus draft for me. Listen, I share your thoughts on Derek Stingley. I feel like his stock has definitely fallen. He still is my CB1. Um, and I'll share a little bit more about how I feel about them taking a cornerback at 10. But let me – Moving on to uh, Dylan. Dylan, what are your thoughts here with the going a little sauce at tenor, just you know, cornerback in general? So um, to kick off the <clears throat> to kick off the new year, I did a Dylan's dimes, and there were draft resolutions for Joe Douglas, and it kind of dove into how I think he's going to approach this draft, especially with Robert Sala at the helm. And a big portion of that, to me, is going to be <clears throat> avoiding the cornerback position in the first three rounds. And it's not something that I necessarily would be banging the drum for. Like, in my opinion, I do believe that I'm on the same wavelength with you guys. The Derek Stingley hype has gotten way too soured and he still is a really good talent. And I think there's a top three corner group and a really strong fourth. And that would be the guys that James just mentioned in sauce and Stingley and Booth and in McDuffie. So I think there is that great pack and there is a lot of talent in that group. And this is a strong top heavy cornerback class. But in my opinion, I think if you look at the roster construction of the San Francisco 49ers, and this is something I talked about in that article, is that when you looked at the secondary that Robert Sala was able to get a lot out of it, it was with guys like Kawan Williams, and it was guys like a returning Jason Ferret. And you see guys who even lesser guys who have now actually parlayed that into bigger deals. And he did a lot to help them. And if you even look at a guy like Brandon Eccles, who, I mean, nobody knew who Brandon Eccles was at the time you guys were taping this a year ago. And he wasn't a very wildly talked about prospect and even say what you will about Jason Pinnock, but he didn't do awful at safety. And maybe there's some room for him to grow in that regard. So I think that, one of Salah's, un, I know a lot gets talked about his linebacker development skills, and he's very, very good at that, but his cornerback development skills have been pretty damn good at every place he's been. So I think the idea of bringing in another later round guy or a couple later round guys, similar to the mentality they went with last year, would be more appealing to my, in my opinion, and definitely would be more of where I would kind of lean. But I think that's definitely something that, I mean, if a guy falls, it's going to make it a little harder, but... I think uh, I would definitely lean to the later rounds to grab somebody, but I wouldn't be opposed to going for a decent size swing in free agency. Cause I do love guys like Alante Taylor and Kirby Joseph, but it wouldn't hurt to go for a good guy in free agency as well. So I think that's interesting. I think that, you know, the 49ers in particular this year have kind of gotten by with maybe some lower tier cornerbacks, you know, Ambry Thomas, who was a third round draft pick, somebody who I absolutely loved in the draft process, probably mocked into the jets about a thousand times last uh, draft season. And then uh, I think Emmanuel Mosley is their other cornerback, but 
you know, seeing what Jalen Ramsey did, for instance, say in that NFC championship where he was pr pretty much, I think, only targeted two times and really did his thing on, on the defensive side of the ball. And then when you move over to the 49ers and, you know, they got Thomas and they got Mosley, but guys like Odell and Cooper Cup really kind of had their way, you know, with that defense. Did that not kind of lead you to believe that maybe having a potential shutdown corner in those situations is maybe, maybe a smart thing to do? Not really in the same regard, though, because you saw the very last play of the game, Jamar Chase towards Jalen Ramsey, and had Joe Burrow had a second longer, we might have been talking about a Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl championship. And I think if you look at a lot of that game, I mean, obviously that's just a play that came to mind, but I mean, Jamar Chase had himself a pretty solid game working against Jalen Ramsey, and even when he was against T. Higgins, T. Higgins did pretty well. And I think, obviously, a guy like Jalen Ramsey is the top cornerback in football and a shutdown cornerback, and you even see the benefit. I, I agree with my Packers and make your argument even stronger. I mean, Jair Alexander, when he's on the field, is fantastic. And a complimentary piece like Eric Stokes makes them a top secondary in football. But I think that, yes, the lockdown corner can be a good advantage. But I think if you look at the way the San Francisco 49ers had success on the defensive side of the football, it was when they went heavy on that front four rushing. And even if you look to the front seven as a whole, just being the stronger part of their defense and the back half. Yes, they had Richard Sherman, but Richard Sherman wasn't playing the football he was playing in Seattle. He was playing a little more strong veteran minded but not necessarily that same high caliber football lockdown corner they were able to make ends meet and have a lot of success so I think that there's definitely a way to work around it and I think it would be a little more lucrative for them to look at the offensive line or defensive line or even a wide receiver for one of those or both of those two first round picks I agree and I disagree with some of the stuff you said I feel like you know Chase kind of taking over Ramsey in those situations while Chase is just a ridiculously good wide receiver I think a, a really big impact where you really kind of saw maybe a wide receiver being completely taken out of the game for even say the Bengals, right? I mean, now they don't have a lockdown corner, but Odell Beckham did leave the game, right? So you kind of saw a situation where for the opposing team, one of their better playmakers was just completely out of the game. Now, obviously it was because of injury, not because of a cornerback, but what kind of impact that could have on the game if you are able to actually take one of those playmakers out. And obviously, like I said, it was because of injury, not because of an actual playmaker, but there are those cornerbacks who have that potential. So for me, I still kind of, I do get the allure, but I do hear what you're saying. I think you made some good points. Now, Meigs, um, you kind of rolled your eyes there when James mentioned generational. And I know you have some hot takes here to talk about the cornerback room. So what's the deal with the uh, cornerback at 10 and just you know, taking one in general there? Uh, yeah. So I guess my Derek Stingley thing, who I do agree with Dylan, I think the pendulum has swung a little too far um, as for James's on the road to being a generational prospect well that's basically true like if you were on the road to breaking the 100 meter record in swimming because your first lap was so good and then you drowned that was basically Derek Stingley's college career so uh, I wouldn't quite go that high also because a guy you brought up Joe who I think is the best corner in the game is Jalen Ramsey and I do think he makes a very big difference for that Rams defense. And he is such a vital, important player. And um, I know Dylan brought the Super Bowl about T Higgins getting most of him. Yeah, that was a little bit of a penalty, but we'll let those bygones be bygones. I just think Jalen Ramsey is so rare in today's NFL. I do think he makes a difference, but even like the equivalent of like a shutdown corner that I think a lot of people think at like the top of the game, like a Marlon Humphrey or a Marshawn Lattimore or even Jair, there are times where they do get beat and the NFL doesn't really allow these corners 
to play. All the advantages are to the receivers. It's very hard for them to actually get physical with them without drawing a flag. So I do feel bad for corners because I think besides quarterbacks, it's the hardest position to play in the league just because of the rules that are now. But as for the Jets taking one at 10, I wouldn't be totally against it. I do think this corner class is quite good. And actually, I think a lot of, if you, I think like out of the top 15, top 20 talent, I think there could be four or five corners in that group. And I don't think that's crazy to say at all. Um, I think it really just depends on how you attack edge rusher, in my opinion. Like if you get KT at four, I don't love going all defense with four and 10 because I do want to help Zach Wilson. But if you add a veteran pass rusher and you go offensive line at four, and or the receivers aren't what you want, or they're the one that you wanted goes off the board before that, I would mind taking a corner there because I do think that room does need some help. And I would give it like a B minus because it's not the pick I would make, but it's certainly not the worst pick they can do. And if they're going to take a corner at 10, take the best one. And that's Trent McDuffie. Yeah, Meeks, I, I agree with you. I think cornerback is probably the hardest position to play in the NFL outside of quarterback. And I can literally count on one hand how many shutdown corners are in the NFL. It's just very hard to find a true lockdown cornerback or a true eraser at the position. If you can find someone who can potentially completely erase or take the opposing team's top wide receiver out of the game, that's somebody I could never complain about the Jets drafting, regardless of other needs on the field. Now, I like Bryce Hall, and I think Eccles has potential, but I believe they both have CB2 ceiling and you don't bypass a potential shutdown corner because you have Eccles and Bryce Hall on your team. Now, I'd rather they go in a different direction with the 10th pick, but again, I can't complain if they feel like they've identified a bona fide stud at the position. I'd be cool with it, even though I agree that you can mitigate deficiencies in the secondary with a good defensive line and generating pressure on the quarterback. Still, you can neutralize a good defensive line with a comparable offensive line or a quarterback who can quick pass you to death. So Having a super sticky cornerbacks, I think, is important, especially in the playoffs, like a guy like Ramsey, for instance, even though Dylan mentioned he got burned on that one play. Um, and listen, considering the Jets play a ton of cover one, which was about 40% more or less this year, but I do think it will kind of go back to around 31%. And in cover three or cover four, their outside receivers are playing man on vertical routes. So good man corners are essential to this defense, that's for sure. And wide welcome to sauce. I mean, it does sound delicious. And I think, Meigs, this might kind of bother you a little bit, but... For those that don't think this defense needs stud corners or proponents of it don't care to take corners high, well, you know, Gus Bradley was part of the team that drafted Jalen Ramsey fifth overall when he was with the Jaguars. Dan Quinn drafted A.J. Terrell in the first round. So clearly disciples of this defense definitely know the significance of what having a true lockdown corner can do for a defense and how they can help separate you from the pack from a defensive perspective. And you know what? I think that's actually a pretty good segue. So speaking of separation, you know, wide receivers have been a hot topic for the Jets from day one. It seems like we've isolated the three we'd be most happy with at 10, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, and Drake London. So I'm just curious. I know we've talked about this a decent amount of times, but you know, who are you guys taking at 10 if they go wide receiver and why? You know what, Meeks? I'm going to start with you because... You know, James is going crazy over there in the background laughing at something. I don't know what's going down, but something funky is going on in the chat room. But regardless, what do you think, Meeks? Um, I, uh, for this wide receiver group, I know, I think me and James are going to talk about the same player. And I feel like I, you and Dylan are going to talk about the same player. So I thought, why not give it to a variety, to a player that I really do like? And that's Arkansas wide receiver, Traylon Burks. I was, you know, I was, I've been grinding the wide receiver film a little bit more this week, 
Burks is firmly slotted into my wide receiver three, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be an ink because I do love Chris Olave, but I understand why Burks is a better fit for this offense. And, you know, I just think Traylon Burks is going to blow up the combine. He's a crazy athlete. He's not the best route runner right now, but frankly, I think route running in this offense is a little bit overrated. And just, I think this is a perfect offense that he can flourish in where he's not going to be relied on to be the top guy right away. You have Corey Davis, who's a solid football player. You will have Elijah Moore, who I think is a rising, you know, budding star, hopefully. And I just think with Sean Brex, you can just keep things simple. Basically, Zach Wilson can average 10 yards per attempt with Traylon Burks and Elijah Moore. He only has to throw the ball like three yards in the air because once you get that ball in that guy's hands, he's dynamite. And I would love to see him in this offense. I mean, you know what, Meigs? I kind of share your sentiments, but I'm having a hard time, you know, the Jets potentially drafting a wide receiver who has issues knowing where and when to run and turn. In other words, you can't have a subpar route runner who has maybe one good move against press coverage on the outside playing with a second-year quarterback still learning the game. That's kind of where I'm at with Traylon Burks. Now, I do think he is a great fit for this offense, but I'm just starting to lean in the direction that he's not a very good fit for Zach Wilson, even though, like you said, you could just you know drop him the ball and maybe you could do special things with it. But I think they're going to need him to be a little bit more of a complete receiver than that, and that's where some of my reservations come into play with, well, Traylon Burks. Dylan, I, we might talk about the same player. Um, I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on wide receiver at 10? So I've become a bigger proponent of wide receiver at 10 than I ever thought I would be. And maybe there's a little bit of Michael Meegan rubbing off on me, whether I want to admit that or not. But it's not going to be the wide receivers he would want because it's not going to be Chris Olave and it's not going to be Traylon Burks. And I'm saying this on December 23rd, 24th, whatever it is. Did you just say um, December, Dylan? Oh, February. February 23rd, 24th. I would have said this in December, too. Chris okay. Olave or Traylon Burks will not be a New York Jet come this time next year. And I would be pretty confident in saying that because I just don't think they would fit exactly what this team's looking for. And I actually don't think Joe and I are going to talk about the same player today because there's a guy I'm going to talk about that they're, we just talking about off air, and that's Garrett Wilson. Um, and it's actually a little bit of me agreeing with Michael Megan here for a two in a row, but it's that I, I love Drake London and I've banged the table for him and stood on my soapbox with Joe Bellick multiple times about Drake London, but I think we're overthinking a lot of prospects in the draft right now, and I know we're going to get into the Kayvon Thibodeau debate in a little bit, not to give away Joe Bellick's game plan here, but I think guys like Derek Stingley, Garrett Wilson, Kayvon Thibodeau are kind of victims of the lull in content right now and people are just looking for things to overanalyze but Garrett Wilson is a guy who is if he came out last year in a loaded receiver class last year probably a top three receiver in that class Garrett Wilson is incredibly talented incredibly fluid he's a very good route runner he's very good with the ball in his hands and he really would be the ideal complement to Elijah Moore in my opinion to really make everybody's life a little bit better I think Garrett Wilson gives that ability that Elijah Moore has to be versatile and kind of play the whole wide back role that has now been kind of manufactured for guys like Cordell Patterson and Debo Samuel. And I think Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore could kind of rotate in that role. And it could do a lot of what Joe you mentioned in the past and take the pressure off Elijah Moore and not necessarily have to have him pigeonholed in a lot of different ways. I think they'd work in tandem well, and it would also allow Corey Davis to thrive as more of that ex-big body receiver that was kind of where he had his most success with the Tennessee Titans and where he produced his best numbers. So uh, 
I think it would work very well as a unit for them to go with Garrett Wilson. And from a pure talent perspective, I think Garrett Wilson is the top receiver in this class. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Garrett Wilson. I'd be absolutely ecstatic for him to be selected by the Jets. And I, I share a lot of your same opinions. I think the only thing for me when it comes to Garrett Wilson and why I in some ways was leading towards Burks, but I'm not anymore, is that I really want this Jets team to be a little bit more physical. I'm really looking for the bully ball. I mentioned that last week. I don't know if Garrett Wilson really offers that. I feel like it's almost a little redundant having him next to Elijah Moore. And I, I feel like the Jets might already have their Garrett Wilson in Elijah Moore. I think that they are fairly comparable receivers um, in what they can do on the field. Still, I, I do love the opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to complain if Garrett Wilson is a pick. And I do completely agree with that. He should not be falling down draft boards as drastically as he is. And as Mike mentioned uh, off air, um, it is kind of ridiculous to see that he's not in the top five on some people's boards. I think that's just borderline super egregious. But uh, James, I feel like, you know, you've been, you know, brooding there a little bit, chomping at the bit, wanting to get uh, your take in there. Maybe we're going to talk about the same player, but maybe you're going to talk about Wilson again. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. So there are a few reasons why I think John Mechie would be the best pick at uh, just kidding. Um, so I think I won't say a few things. Uh, I'd say number one, I like Wilson the best. I don't think he's going to be the pick at 10 because a, I think he's redundant to Elijah Moore, as you said, Joe. Um, and B, I think they want to build out the wide receiving core to have different skill sets in it. Daniel Jeremiah, who, you know, sort of grew up as a scout with Joe Douglas, talks all the time about building the wide receiver core like a basketball team. And I think that's the approach that Douglas would kind of want to take. I mean, it's a more conventional approach in the NFL. Then the other thing I want to say is like Traylon Burks versus Drake London. Um I see the appeal of Burks, great athlete, really good after the catch. My big hangup that I haven't been able to get over, and I'd love to ask Connor about this, Connor Rogers, when we get him on, but I just don't see the lack of linear or really the lack of like fluidity. Um, I just don't see it playing well in this offense. Um, I think that's where Drake London excels. He may be less of a, He'd be he's definitely less fast and maybe less of a good athlete overall, but I think he is way more fluid. I think I could see him succeeding in this offense way more than Traylon Burke. So like, I, I just don't really see the Burke's hype. I think he's way better for a more traditional, like spread to run offense, like, you know, chiefs bills, that type of vibe, not the whole wide zone offense where the route tree is extremely complex. So those are my thoughts. Well, I think he would be actually good for a wide zone offense, but I do share your sentiments about his like kind of lack of fluidity. And I think that's where Drake London definitely does beat him. I feel like Drake is really the complete receiver in every way. I think he could beat you on every level of the field from short, intermediate to deep. Now, I think the biggest concern with Drake for people is that he can't really create separation. Well, let me just, you know, break it down for everybody right now. Drake London can create separation. Um, there are these people on Jets Twitter, and I try not to interact with them who are posting all these pictures of him on vertical routes where he is clearly having a step ahead of the cornerback. And I don't know if people realize that right now, but that is what's called NFL separation. Like there's a saying in the scouting community, if you're even, you're leaving. And while Drake London is more than even, he clearly has a step against press coverage on the outside, on these cornerbacks. And the reason why he's in these 50-50 situations or these contested catch situations has nothing to do with him and his ability to stack our quarterback. It has everything to do with his quarterback. His quarterback is throwing these 50-50 balls up to him because it's a lot easier to throw, say, a contested catch to a six-foot-five-inch wide receiver who could literally dunk on a cornerback than it is to drop an over-the-shoulder pass 
into a breadbasket. I mean, that's just really the point. It has nothing to do with Drake London. He is in those contested cash situations, again, for all the people listening out there, because his quarterback is putting him in that position. He is a very good player. I think he's perfect for what Zach Wilson is. Zach loves to throw those outside throws, and he can throw those 50-50 balls up to him. But he can also drop a ball in a bread basket, something that those USC guys like Slovis and all the other guys who are starting over there can't do. And he's, again, a guy who you could, you know, throw a slant to, work him in the screen game. He could be an extension of your wrong game, like I've mentioned numerous times. So I feel like he is the ideal fit for Zach Wilson and this offense. And he gives me that player that I'm looking for, a guy who can really give you that bully ball. I want this team to be tough. I think this team needs to be tough with Zach Wilson there. That's why I'm also in support of bringing in a molar, you know, like like Kwanu, you know, to start off at right guard. Let's just like run the ball down people's throat and let's beat the crap out of people. Drake London offers that. I don't think as much as I'd like Garrett Wilson, I don't think he really offers that. I think Traylon Burks does, but like I said, I'm not bringing in somebody who's having issues with route running with my second year developing quarterback. I feel like that's just a recipe for disaster. Now I know people really love Traylon Burks. I mean, I think that when they did a poll, was it today or yesterday that he was the number one guy over everybody, I think? or was uh, it was it, I think him and Wilson were neck and neck and then London and I forget the other receivers were a distant third and fourth. Yeah, I think London is now kind of slowly rising up people's boards. And, and I, I he's like gonna fa- He's, he's going to fall uh, after next week, I think, on a couple people unfairly, in my opinion. But yeah, yes. I mean, I am curious to see what he's gonna, what, what his 40 is going to be. But as far as like his ability to stack cornerbacks or to gain separation in college, he's doing that very well, especially on these short routes. He is an extremely underrated route runner and like a guy who is super dynamic with the ball in his hands. I think if we got him, we would be ec- ecstatic. And, you know, I was kind of in the, uh, like a proponent of waiting on wide receivers to the second round. But if they went wide receiver at 10, man, with somebody like Drake London, or even Garrett Wilson, despite what I said, I, man, I'd be pretty stoked. Now, speaking of guys who've you know, risen and fallen through this draft process, we mentioned Garrett Wilson. But there's another guy we recently talked about, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. And there are people who are saying he could definitely you know, fall as late as to pick 10. Do you guys still believe that not selecting Kayvon Thibodeau at pick four or at pick 10 is something that's egregious, something that we should kind of, you know, yell at Joe Douglas about let's uh let's start with with you Meeks what do you think yeah he's the best player in the draft I don't like like we don't have to keep doing this we don't have to keep hyping up Trevon Walker or Jermaine Johnson Aiden Hutchinson's a great football player he's gonna be a good football player I think he's not a head and shoulders above Kayvon Thibodeau Kayvon Thibodeau is the best player in the draft you can get the best player in the draft at maybe the second most important position in football Bad offensive tackle, I think, is a pretty dead heat after quarterback. You do it. Kevin Thibodeau is going to be a stud. I know he's going to be a stud. There's a couple non-believers out there. You know, let them let them have their fun. He's going to be dominant. I hope it's with the Jets, and that's all I got to say about it. Meigs, man, I, I think maybe this is where the spiciness is going to come in. Kevin Thibodeau is not the best player in this draft. I'm sorry, my friend. Kevin Thibodeau is what I call a highlight reel prospect. Somebody could put a bunch of clips together on YouTube and just make everybody go wild because his splash plays are otherworldly. But when you go and dive deep, and I've watched five games, and I'll say, and I've told you guys this before, it's probably five more games than most people have watched. It was pretty underwhelming. You know, everybody touts him as a super explosive player. Well, his explosiveness isn't consistent. You see him routinely not being able to beat 
a mediocre offensive tackle to their landmark or to their spot. He resorts to putting two hands in the chest, trying to throw the guy out. And his lack of technique is really exposed in those particular situations. So I feel like Kayvon right now, and I don't want to throw you in the bus, is really just a name. You know, somebody who people have been listening or hearing about for the last two years is a potential first pick in the draft. And when you really, like I said, get into the film, he doesn't look like that. Yeah, I mean, he's got some power. He's got some length. He's got the explosiveness, but he doesn't really have the bend. You see him trying to turn that corner and literally being stuffed in the ground by mediocre offensive linemen. And again, that technique is really something that he needs to work on. So best player in the draft, I really, honestly, I, I don't see that. And I don't feel like people like Daniel Jeremiah is like really deserving some of the flack he's getting for talking about Kayvon the way he is. Everything that he's pointed out is exactly what I saw. And I'm glad that you still like Kayvon. I mean, you talked about him on the last season of, of draft season last year. And I feel like maybe you're just kind of, you know, not wanting to see the truth. I mean, maybe, maybe it's his ankle. You know, maybe you could blame it on that injury. You know, I could see that because he definitely did seem a little more explosive last year, especially in the Pac-12 championship. He was an, a total beast. And, you know, I guess the California game and the UCLA game are the gold standard of what I think he could be in the NFL. But regardless, there is a lot of tape that really leaves you scratching your head and wondering if, you know, should he even be the pick at 10, to be honest? So I personally don't think it would be egregious if they skipped on him at four or even at 10. Now, I think I would probably take him at 10. I, I would definitely get behind him. I'm not saying like, oh my God, we took Kayvon Thibodeau at 10. No, but it's not the no-brainer pick that most people are making it out to be, or, well, you, Michael Megan, are making it out to be. Joe, would you rather take Kyle Hamilton or Kayvon Thibodeau at four? Kayvon Thibodeau. Michael. Okay, all right, all right. So you're not, you're not completely off the reservation. All right, I feel good about that. No, I'm not, I'm not taking a safety at four as, as good as I think Hamilton could be. Okay. You know what, Dylan? What are your thoughts? I feel like you were slightly underwhelmed by his performances as well. So I'm going to say I agree with you to an extent and kind of take the happy medium here. Um, I think we were both kind of on definitely on the same wavelength. I think all four of us were underwhelmed in general. Like we we weren't looking at somebody who was overwhelmingly the top prospect in this draft as though some have hyped him up to be. And I kind of made the, the Clowney comparison. I'm not even going to say the first name, but um, Clowney and him, even if we got a semblance of Clowney at 10, I would be happy with. So I would not think it's egregious to take him at four or to not take him at four, but I would definitely think it would be egregious not to take him at 10 because I'll, I'm kind of going to spin this to you, Joe. Where do you have Thibodeau? If you're going to be honest and forget everybody else's rankings, which I don't doubt that you would, where do you still have him in this edge rushing class? He's still my edge too. Okay. So if there's been debate about taking Karlaftis at four or taking Ojabo at four, then why wouldn't you make the same debate that Thibodeau could go at four? Because I would run the card up if he's there at 10, because he's not going to be there at 10. He's going to be there. He's going to be gone out of the top five. And I still believe that. I don't think he's going to be there at 10 either. I just, I just want to voice my concerns. I want to let people out there know that if the Jets do skip on him, like let's not burn down the building and all of a sudden start calling for Joe Douglas's job. I mean, that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. You know, I, I think he is a very high upside prospect. There's no question. You know, I'm not going to say he's not going to be in my top 10 when we redo our big boards in a couple of weeks. He will be. I just, like I said, I, I, when you watch Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm sorry, man. Like there are so many moments where you're just like, People thought this guy was going to be the first pick in the draft. I mean, where exactly um, did that come from? And, I, and, I, and it's just the truth. 
And I, I think it's like people should be talking about it and voicing it because the Jets draft him and all of a sudden he's not like the player we expected. Everybody's going to be like, what do you keep on Thibodeau? You know what I mean? Like it, we need to have some good discourse on it. And he's not a perfect prospect. And I know Meeks knows that as well, you right. know, but I hear you at 10 running up the card for Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm not going to be angry at either, but uh, James, I know I left you there for a little while longer than you wanted to be left. So, you know, what are your thoughts? All right. I'm just going to like transition us to the new topic. I want to like address both of these things. So we're supposed to talk next about like just a hot take that we have. So I'm going to incorporate my hot take into the Thibodeau discussion and pose the question to everybody. Are we sure that Devontae Wyatt is not the best defensive lineman in this year's NFL draft and should be a top five pick? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now, James. I I actually don't mind that little pivot there because I believe that Devontae Wyatt is defensive lineman number one. Oh! And one of the questions, not, well, yes, defensive tackle, inside defensive lineman. Yeah, okay, Joe, (laughs) because I thought you thought he was better than Hutch. No, inside defensive lineman, number one, all right? When I say DL, I'm usually not talking about the edge guys, but I do believe that. So I think that is a hot take. And one of the questions I was going to ask you guys is, what does Quinn Williams have to do for you this year, right, for you to give him that big payday? And you think potentially taking somebody like Wyatt or, or Winfrey in the second round might be a good preemptive strike. So um, we could kind of potentially move on from Quinn or even trade him. I mean, for this, I'll just speak on Quinn this year. Uh, he, he, he's got to have 11 sacks and he's got to have 20 TFLs. That's what I want. That's, That's a high bar, Michael. But I, I kind of, I listen. I kind of agree, man. He, he was picked player. third overall. Like this wasn't some dude in the twenties who you're like, all right, I think he's gonna be a good player. Quinn Williams was billed as the best player in the draft. That included Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is sweet. I don't expect Quinn Williams to be that good. But when you're a top five pick, you should have top five pick expectations. And I don't think thinking Quinn Williams should make his first Pro Bowl and flirt with an all second team all pro, which is what those numbers would indicate, is unreasonable for a guy going into his fourth year and his second year in a new system that he isn't learning. Yeah, I think one of the best things that happened with Aaron Donald this year and just the player he's become is that nobody is going to ever most likely compare another interior defensive lineman to Aaron Donald. Yeah. And doing it to Quinnen was completely just ridiculous. And it really kind of like the hype he got during that draft process was just like nonsense, if you ask me. And he wasn't the player I was hoping the Jets target, but we did pick him. And unfortunately, he kind of became the player that I think many of us expected him to be. Like, we didn't think he was the best player in the draft. We didn't think he was the best um, defensive, interior defensive lineman we've ever scouted. And a lot of people were saying stuff like that. And I understand why people might want to move on from now. It seems on Jets Twitter, you can't even bring stuff up like that without, you know, a whole bunch of people coming after you. But the truth is, if Quinnen doesn't put up big numbers now, I don't know if I need 11 sacks, but... I don't mind you saying that because like, that's what we expected when they drafted him. So I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, Mike. And uh, James, is this what you yes, were expecting when take you brought us. up Devontae Wyatt? Like, like you want to add something to this? I'll just say regarding Quinnen, look, the, the question about whether you resign somebody is really just about what the number is. And I think I would feel comfortable. Like, look, I think you've got to resign good players when you've had trouble drafting them in the first place. If you're the Jets, and I guess I would feel fine paying Quinn in like 18 million a year with the expectation that that 
over time becomes less of a top contract at the position. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like you don't have the luxury to let go of good players, you know? So Quinnen has a comparable year to this year. You're giving him $18 million? I mean, he had six and a half sacks this year, right? Yeah, that's not good. He had one quarterback hit after week 10. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'd have to think about it. But I think most people expect him to do better than this year. So, yeah. So you didn't answer that question, though. Would you be okay with taking Devontae Wyatt or another interior defensive lineman in the second round, kind of like understanding that Quinnen might not be on this roster in the future? Or would you wait to see how it plays out? I mean, I think Devontae Wyatt probably goes, like, top 35. All right, so there's definitely a, a chance he could be there in the second. James, would you take him in the second round or not, bro? Isn't like, where's he going? No, I would not take him in the second round. You would not. Meeks? No, uh, it's it's too many other holes. Too Can't many other it. holes. Dylan, we kind of left you stranded there for a bit. Why don't you just answer that one question before we move on to other hot takes? Would you consider an interior defensive lineman considering the Quinnen situation and him potentially, well, up to now, not really living up to expectations? I would not. I'm in the same group as James. I I do believe you need to sign your re-sign your good players. And obviously, you know, his production is not going to be exactly what the bar, the 11 sacks you just set, but he's still a productive player and he still does make an impact on this defense and on a team that lacks talent just across the board. I think you don't get rid of guys who at least are productive, whether or not they're at the level that you wish, that's a completely different story. But I also agree with James. I don't know about 18 million a year, but if they're handing 13.75 a year um, on average to JFM, I don't necessarily know if 18 is that egregious, but I, I did Joe Horning sent a mock off season and he put shout out to him Winfrey in one of his ads in the second round. And honestly, one, I like Winfrey more than Wyatt. And I'm going to say that confidently to you three. And then also I, I, I wouldn't be that opposed to it. I'm not going to be mad if they do it because to me, it kind of seems similar to the same way they would, they draft an offensive lineman. It's going to give the guys a kick in the ass. If they draft an offensive tackle, that's a kick in the ass to Makai Becton to prove it and show up or shut up and vice versa. If they draft a defensive lineman early, cause I think it might light a fire under Quinn and Williams ass. And regardless, I would still resign Quinn and I wouldn't be rushing to draft the guy in the second round, but I understand Joe Horning's mentality and I could understand yours. Yeah. I'm kind of in the ballpark of, I probably wouldn't do it either, but if Joe Douglas did, I completely understand the mindset behind it. So James kind of took us into these hot takes. You know, what's your hot take for, or your tidbit of the night, Joe, we're in the trust tree. We're gonna, I'm going to contradict the previous take I had. A previous take we were in unison on, I would not take Trey McBride with a top 40 pick. That's I a, really wouldn't. That's I a, really wouldn't do it. I think he's become overrated. I think he's a little smaller than I was expecting. I don't think he's going to test that well. I don't think he's a great athlete. I think he's average to solid athlete. He catches everything. I don't have an issue with him only having one touchdown. He's going to be a red zone weapon. But as for we need to fix tight end and hearing the reports that Dalton Schultz won't be franchise tag is music to my ears. Because if you give Dalton Schultz the bag, you have your number one tight end. You don't have to reach for a tight end in the top of the second round. You can take one of these other guys in the third, fourth round to compliment him, which I think works. But even if you don't land that top tier Dalton Schultz, adding a veteran, I just think that other tight ends present a better value than having to spend pick 35 or 38 on Trey McBride. As much as I do enjoy him, I do think that's just a little too rich for me. I'm still going to stand on my soapbox for Trey McBride. I have no issue with them taking him in that range, but I do want to see how he tests out because I, I share some of those same reservations as far as his, his measurements and 
you know, obviously what's he going to put up in a 40 and his three cone and just all the stuff that we love to measure when he gets an NFL combine. And I think it could, could make or break him. I think he could, he could be one of those yeah. guys who could end up making a lot of money or losing a lot of money. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Cause if he or, runs four, seven, five, like, or higher, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little worried. Yeah. If he runs four, seven, five, I'm pretty sure he's going to be falling down a lot of people's draft yeah. board. hundred percent. Um, I don't know, Dylan, if you want to share a little hot take, I had one, but I'm going to save it for another time because I know we got a bit of a time limit here or what's the story. All right. So I got one, not as necessarily applicable to the Jets as it is other teams here, but I, I kind of agree on the Trey McBride take me because I don't think that's hot uh, or that hot. Um, I've used a couple hot takes in the past, so I'm going to go with one. I'm kind of getting really confident in, and that's that if I were looking for a quarterback or a running back, I would not be drafting one or even considering one in the first round. I don't think any of these quarterbacks would be a first round quarterback to me. And I don't think I would take one of these running backs in the first round either. And I would pretty confidently say that. And if you're a team looking for a quarterback right now, or in that desperate need of a running back, then hand the bag to somebody in free agency and don't hand it to any of these guys, because I think there's a lot of talented running backs in this class. And I think that there's some quarterbacks who could be developed into something like maybe Malik Willis could be turned into something. I do believe that, but I would not be banging the drum for Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral at this point and vice versa for the running backs in this class. I don't think Spiller Hall or Kenny Walker are worthy to even be in the top 35. You know, I tend to agree with that. And I guess we're going to end the show on that and maybe leave a little bit of a teaser. But I think since the Jets do have this offense that's predicated on running the ball, and I don't think we're talking about the running game enough. And I think there might be a running back that me and Meigs might like that if the Jets took in the second round, we wouldn't actually be too upset about. I'll leave the listeners with that and we could touch on that on another time. But Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you tune into Badlands and the TOJ pod with Will Parkinson. TOJ Live is coming back with Steven Zantz and Steven Russo. Make sure you get into that. And, of course, make sure you come and check out us guys here at Draft Season. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.